Hi, everyone, and welcome to Future of Health with Providence St. Joseph Health. I'm your host, Julie Alexandria, here on Dash Radio, bringing you the very latest in healthcare trends and news each week. And today we're joined by Deborah Canales, Executive Vice President and Chief Administrative Officer at Providence St. Joseph Health. And also Kara Santucci is in the studio with us here in Hollywood. Kara is a director within Providence St. Joseph Health, focusing on partnership development and leading system integrations. We'll also be joined later by special guest, Dia Taylor, better known as Dia Direct. And today our topic that we're gonna be talking about is female leadership and work-life balance very important topic. So if you have any questions for any of our experts, we want to hear from you. Please feel free to submit them via our Twitter handle and our Facebook page while we're live here today. We can be found on Twitter at PSJH and also on Facebook under Providence St. Joseph Health. And don't forget to use the hashtag. That's hashtag future of health so we can find you. Hashtag future of health. And we'll be on the lookout for those throughout the show. So let's kick it off by welcoming Kara and Deborah. Thank you so much for joining us. If you could, please, Kara, since you're here in studio, we'll go with you first. If you could tell us about your role at PSJH. Yeah, thanks, Julie. I've been at PSJH a little over three years now. I serve as the Director of Partner Integration under our Chief Strategy Officer. I mostly focus on post-M&A integration and in supporting our executive team in partner development. And partnering with other organizations is one of the critical ways that will serve more people in the future. So I stay busy and I really enjoy it. And where are you based out of? I am based out of Renton, but I recently moved to Southern California. Oh, welcome. Yeah. Where thanks. in Southern California? Uh, we're in Orange County. Fantastic. And Deb, I know you're on the line here. If you could tell us about the work that you do with PSJH. Sure. Thank you, Julie. Uh, I am almost anniversarying five years with Providence St. Joseph Health as the Chief Administrative Officer. And my role is kind of broad. Um, it includes human resources, so taking care of all of our caregivers. That's what we call our employees. Communications and PR, um, advocacy, community partnerships with just a, a whole potpourri of wonderful functions, and including our education, housing, our community benefit and foundations, what we do for the environment, um, our international programs. Um, so it's uh, just a very dynamic and, and broad um, role that really helps to, to harmonize our, our strategy um, rooted in our values and, and certainly what we're doing uh, to really live into creating health for a better world here at Providence St. Joseph Health. Now, when it comes to Providence St. Joseph Health, with those initiatives, I mean, this is one of the only female-founded and operated companies out there. So can you tell us about the mission and the core values of PSJH and how that relates to female empowerment? Absolutely. It's, it's something that uh, really attracted me here from Trinity Health, where I was there for almost 10 years because of just uh, how we are women-founded organization. And I don't think a lot of organizations can say that today that are over 165 years still operating. And so it started with the sisters really being committed to a workplace that values dignity, respect, and diversity, allowing everyone, uh, men and women, to, to really reach their full potential. And I came because of that commitment from our president and, and CEO, Rod Hockman, in terms of the uh, commitment to people, um, but rooted really in what the sisters provided for us in a lot of their writings um, in, in a document called Hopes and Aspirations that really articulates a call um, to respond to the signs of a time really rooted with a commitment to, uh, to kind of the sacredness of, uh, of really ensuring uh, that respect and dignity to all of our caregivers. Yeah, PSJH is so unique in that we have these incredible founders that we can look to for inspiration women of courage whose legacies and impact have literally lived on for decades. And one of the phrases I love that the Sisters of St. Joseph of Orange reference is bold faith, foresight, and flexibility. I actually have those words written on a post-it on the wall above my computer. But I think these sisters had a remarkable ability to look ahead and a willingness to adapt to changing needs and of faith that moved their ministries forward even when times were tough. And when you think about these ideals and the words, faith, foresight, and flexibility, they're 
empowering words that I think really embody the attributes of strong female leadership. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how setting the precedent early on, just by being women of faith and being women who are pioneers, and to then build what is now this you know, incredible corporation that was founded on these values is, is pretty spectacular. And the topic today is obviously female leadership and the work-life balance. And that's something that always gets me when people ask you, what's the work-life balance? Because nobody ever asks men that, right? That's, that's a strictly female question, which is how do you balance it all? Because society assumes that you are a wife and a mother as well, and you're also handling a career. And that is a lot. That's a lot for anyone. But what I do love about PSJH is that it is incredibly female focused. The leadership is 50% female. Is that something that's made a key focus in the area, Deb? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things, again, that attracted me to come here was to, to look at is, um, that collaborative with uh, our senior executives um, and our entire team to really look at how do we create more representation uh, because as a, as a system, we're over 75% uh, in our total population women. Um, and I'm really excited in terms of how we've moved the needle in that representation at the executive level. And I think, you know, we, we early understood the need for gender representation um, and in terms of the diverse talent and leadership and really put a lot of focus because diversity begets diversity. And putting that extensive effort into our talent planning to identify, to create that diversity pool and high potential candidates um, at all levels and to help promote, help to sponsor, help to mentor um, as they aspire into these executive level positions. So it's something I'm, I'm really proud of. It's something that um, really creates a magnet um, for other individuals who are looking to come to join us um, because of that commitment every day. And Kara, tell me about the Chicks in Charge program. What is that? <laughs> yeah, I actually attended um, a Chicks in Charge dinner a couple weeks ago. It was It was super fun. What I think I loved most about it was just the space to connect with other female leaders, just like in a more personal way. I experienced this too when uh, Deb and I were at the recent Modern Healthcare Women's Conference. There's just something so cool that happens when women get together. There's an openness and a sense of fun and solidarity. It's it's so life-giving and it was totally re-energizing. What was that conference like? What were you, what were you guys discussing? Deb, feel free to chime in here, but it was, it, 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 it's going, I think the conference has been going on for about 10 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it pulls women leaders from, from all over the country that serve in various leadership positions in healthcare. And we talk about female related topics, things like work-life balance and um, how to manage taking care of older parents or kids and maintaining um, an upward trajectory in your career. And so the, the agenda over the two days really kind of hit on all those topics. That's yeah, awesome. that's great, Kara. And, you know, it's an opportunity to create, um, you know, a, a sacred gathering uh, to really think about how do we promote female leadership? How do we foster gender equality? Um, how do we network, collaborate, and create these bondings as well as being able to take back a call to action to our organizations as part of continuing to to help promote um, this need as we look at statistics today and representation. Mm-hmm. What do you know offhand? What are those statistics? I do. You know, um, we uh, were showcased a study by McKinsey, and you know, um, as we look at it, was, there was a really sobering quote that they shared with us that said, "You know, corporate America is not on a path to gender equality." And at the current rates, it will take more than 100 years to reach gender equality in the C-suite. And I thought, oh, my gosh. And what was was also compelling was to look at the pipeline of women. And and if we look at data for healthcare, women make up more than half of the entry level and manager levels. That's kind of our experience. But then the experience and drop-off at the C-suite and senior level is just an opportunity to, to really think about how do we put in these programs to really improve those numbers. I mean, it starts out at entry level, 63% of the pipeline are women, and drops to, 
to 32% at the C-suite. And and women of color uh, at 21% entry level then drops down to 3%. So um, some pretty sobering statistics and just a a good wake-up call for us in terms of what are we going to do to take action. Yeah, 100 years. That's what stuck out to me. That I mean, that seems like forever. It seems insurmountable. Like that's not even within our lifetimes. And that's that's really sad. Kara, tell us about the new women's inclusion and diversity program. Yeah, this is definitely one of the things that we're trying to um, get going to help um, with that leaking pipeline. So last December, my gal pal Whitney and I had the idea to start bringing women in our organization together on some sort of regular basis. And we noticed a hunger even amongst our small group of girlfriends to talk about things like work-life balance, how to get a mentor, how to get ahead in your career. So we pitched the idea to a couple of our executives and they were totally supportive. So we started pretty grassroots just by organizing lunches and lining up a few of our female colleagues to come and talk about these types of topics. And after a few of these events, we received really amazing feedback and really a desire to make this more formal. So we're now actually in the middle of formalizing this group, not only at our system office, but also to try and figure out how to scale it so that some version of it is available to uh, women uh, across our system. So at the core of this group, what we're really trying to promote and facilitate based on the feedback we received is connecting women with female leaders for sponsorship and mentorship, training in areas like public speaking and presenting that we need or we feel we need in order to progress in our careers, and networking with each other like happy hours or book clubs and working with various partners in our system to figure out how we can use this group to help contribute to the cultural narrative in our organization of equity for women. Mm -hmm. Because so often women don't speak up and they are not given those tools because they don't know how to ask for it, I feel like. But that's fantastic. I almost wish that you would do it for all businesses outside of healthcare, even if you can incorporate it. That's fantastic. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will still be joined by Kara and Deb. We're going to continue this conversation about women's inclusionary participation in corporate America and as it goes with PSJH. We'll be right back. Falling into you, baby, even electricity can't compare to what I feel when I'm with you. Baby, giving up my ghost for you. Now I'm see-through. You give me a feeling, feeling so strong. I know you've been treating, treating yourself wrong. So let me care for you. Ooh, baby, I'm gonna love you differently. I'll give you electricity and give it to you. And even if I could, I would. Electricity, I'm flying into you. 
Welcome back to Future of Health here on Dash Radio. I'm Julie Alexandria. We're talking female leadership and the work-life balance. We've got Kara in studio and Deb is calling in from PSJH. Now, Deb, you've received a lot of recognition lately for your work in the space of equality and mentorship. There was actually a Forbes recognition as one of the top places to work for women, and that's PSJH, and another Forbes Award for your diversity work. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, thank you, Julie. It's it's a wonderful, I think we're really proud to be ranked in Forbes' top best employers for women. Gets back to our foundresses and those courageous women, and that's why we have the, the goal we do to ensure that women today get the opportunity to continue to exhibit that same conviction and courage and and have opportunities they deserve because to your point earlier about recognizing that women don't often ask and and don't often have the same opportunities to learn and so how do we be proactive to identify to initiate those mentorship programs and and I think what I um, really um, learned at the, the national conference that we attended at Modern Healthcare was the n- distinction between mentorship and sponsorship, uh, because they're different. And, and, um, and in, in mentoring, you know, a, a very specific program as part of that um, career progression and development. Uh, but sponsorship, you know, just the... Um, the, the nuance of, of really identifying and taking someone under your wing and looking um, to help create their voice and position that for opportunities for the future, to be aware, um, to help give um, experiences, not necessarily a promotion or a job, but just that inclusion um, as we think about um, the resource groups that Kara talked about and um, those network opportunities um, if you think about it, all we do all day is have conversations. And so the power of those conversations to help people be able to insert, ask the powerful questions, and get that recognition when those opportunities do come around, that those individuals are recognized and, and tapped um, and, and to help bring them up for the next opportunity. What's been the reaction from your employees and your caregivers when presented with this sort of opportunity to have a mentor, to have a sponsor? Well, I'll ask Kara to, to maybe, um, you know, share a little bit about her experiences because she's living it right now. And, uh, of course, I'm, I'm very biased in favor because that's what I do all day. Um, but I, I'd love to hear Kara's perspective on her own experience. Yeah, you know, when I when I look back at like a timeline of my career so far, mm-hmm. it's interesting because I notice a huge acceleration in the phases where I had access to a mentor, or I had a sponsor, as opposed to when I didn't. Mm-hmm. And um, so, for example, really early in my career, it was with the help of a mentor that I made a big decision, at least at least for me, to leave finance and switch to business development. And for me, that switch was inevitable, just given where my strengths are. But my mentor helped me realized this much earlier on and I've been a lot happier and successful as a result of it. Um, But for the first time in my career at PSJH these last few years, I've had access to true sponsorship and I actually hadn't heard the word until until I got to PSJH, but that's not only opened up amazing opportunities I never would have been able to get on my own with where I'm at in my career now, things like sitting on a panel or joining a podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's also helped me redefine how I want to be able to support the other women around me. Who did you choose? Who is your mentor that had the most impact? It, it's Deb. Oh, oh, Deb, of course. Aww. That's why you wanted her to talk about it. I didn't pay her to say that. <laughs> well, now it all oh, makes sense. You, <laughs> well, that's fantastic. So, Deb, let me ask you about that. What was your reaction when, when Kara came to you and said, you know, let's, let's have this conversation? Well, I was very touched and very honored, and I, I think that's kind of a myth of most executives um, for people to even ask the question and be invited, uh, because we don't often get asked, and people think that we're too busy, that we're too high level, that we don't have the time, and there's nothing more important than helping to mentor and sponsor and help bring other up-and-comers up in this organization. I mean, that. That is my calling of how I help to ignite 
um, individuals to reach their full potential that they wouldn't necessarily even know that they have. And, and that's the greatest joy um, and why I'm here. And uh, so to be asked um, by someone like Kara, who is just on a, a high trajectory and, and success, I, I was very touched. I think um, I think something I'd add too is is to Deb's point. It is it is really scary, kind of you know going up to, you know especially a leader that you look up to that you've interacted with and you see things about them that that you want. And when you're thinking about how you're developing as a leader, mm-hmm. um, it's totally scary. And and I remember a couple of years ago when someone asked me to be a mentor. It was the first time somebody had asked me to be a mentor. She had the same experience. She was totally nervous. It's almost like you're asking somebody on a date. Like the fear of rejection right. is so overwhelming. And, um, but I would just really, really encourage because, um, at least in my experience at PSJH, you know, when, when I asked Deb and, and when I talked to other leaders, they, they're, they're all about it. Um, but it does take a little bit of courage. What do you think are the key areas that drive overall satisfaction for women in the workplace? You know, I, I am in a role right now and, and this hasn't always been the case for me in my career. Um, but I'm in a role right now where I do feel satisfied and engaged in, I think there's a few things that I would attribute to that. So um, development, I have regular conversations with my leader about my development and she makes herself available when I wanna do that. Um, Community, definitely community. I have a group of people around me that I trust, both mentors and sponsors and a network of peers and friends that I trust and support me. And meaningful work, not only work that stretches me, but work that I enjoy. I get exposure to a lot of great projects and I have the opportunity to help shape really big things. And through these, I I feel empowered and supported and I feel cared about. And I think that, that that's what most women want is just equal access to these types of things. Mm -hmm. And maybe a zero tolerance policy as well. Yeah. I, I have been in organizations where there, there is a most, mostly a zero tolerance policy, right? And, mm-hmm. and where maybe there were exceptions to certain people. But um, in my position, I work directly with our senior executives and, um, and, and there is a zero tolerance policy. Yeah, that, that's a big deal. And Deb, it is a big deal. And we've heard you talk about launching the hashtag not here in response to the hashtag me too. So Deb, if you could just talk about the ensuring that you're working in a harassment-free workplace. Sort of how did that get started? Yeah, thank you. It's something I'm very, very passionate about. And last year at the same um, Women's Leadership Conference um, that was sponsored by Modern Healthcare, I disclosed my own experience about domestic abuse. And I I felt really motivated to continue this story and, um, you know, for the first time really coming out. And I wrote an op-ed that came out this week in Modern Healthcare about empowering a safe environment and and to help others. Because, uh, you know, when when I was involved in a relationship back then, the statistics were staggering. It was one in in four women, or uh, and now it's one in three women. And one in four men have been victims of some sort of physical violence uh, by an intimate partner or in their lifetime. And, and just the impact that women even say about, you know, that abuse and the effect in the workplace. Um, and so from my own personal experience, it's, it's really helped to, to shape my commitment and, and the passion that I have to ensure a safe and compassionate workplace. Um, and I've worked hard to really position myself and, and to provide that sponsorship to other women and to be a mentor and, and help be a confidant to them. Um, you know, the, uh, <clears throat> the hashtag MeToo movement um, has really created kind of a, a moral authority and moral imperative, and it's, it's moved our organization to respond with a um, hashtag not here. And that means that we don't tolerate harassment or abuse of any kind. And I think what what I learned at the the Modern Healthcare Forum was just the the impact of our values. Uh, that really differentiates our organization because we're guided by our mission and our core values, and we stand on those who came forward to really root out abusive behaviors to anyone and and really ensure that dignity and respect to all. So um, it's something that uh, we have to stand up for now and find the courage to pass it on. 
um, in terms of just the intense societal change that we're experiencing right now. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that it was well received, Kara, when it came out? Oh yeah, it was. It was definitely well received. I think. Um, I think our caregivers definitely track um, those types of things on on social media. So when when those bigger movements come out, it's something that they pay attention to and. And just due to scale alone, I think our organization has an opportunity to build off of those national movements and, and make an impact. And when, when our organization, when our leaders do do that, it, it helps ensure um, our employees that it is a priority for our leaders and that they hear us and that they're responding to those concerns and needs. What are some of the benefits and employee programs that you guys help that help with the work-life balance when it comes to women in the workplace? Yeah, we, we have a, a number, you know, and I think it, it stems from the sisters recognizing, you know, spiritual wellness and bringing your whole self to work, mind, body, and spirit. And, um, you know, we have one program, for example, that's called um, Choose Well, and it's kind of, it's our wellness program, but it en encompasses, um, you know, physical, spiritual, financial, and just really, you know, helping our caregivers manage life and while offering rewards and incentives to help them um, get where they want to get. And, you know, our, our paid time off programs, uh, parental leave, opportunities for uh, tuition assistance to help people continue to, to develop and um, achieve their career goals. Um, we provide um, a caregiver assistance, one that's focus specifically on compassion and helping our clinical and uh, frontline caregivers and managing stress and just uh, the work that they engage um, because our our work is 24 hours a day and just you know how to handle that so it's just it's a myriad of programs but you know certainly um, looking at how we are able to engage our caregivers to bring their whole self to work because I think earlier Julie you, you talked about you know work-life balance and I've always you know I think it's personal in terms of the definition and I I, I just call it life I, I'm not sure that I can balance it because I think it blurs in those lines and I think it's different for everyone and everyone defines it differently and um, giving our caregivers the empowerment to do what they need to do as, as part of how they manage um, their life and then their commitment to their well-being um, is, is certainly put on the forefront. Um, another example is our leader time off, and, and we encourage our leaders to take time, and um, we don't track it, and, you know, we, we certainly expect people to deliver on their uh, accountabilities and their goals and objectives, but we're not we're not tracking. We're committed to to them to take the time off to work hard, but also to to rest and be with family. Wow, that's incredible. Well, we are going to take a quick break. Deb and Kara, thank you so much. We are going to continue the conversation, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by special guest Dia Smith Taylor, better known as Dia Direct. You may have heard of her. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back. This is Dash Radio and its future of health. Yeah. Tiffany's and bottles of bubbles Girls with tattoos who like getting in trouble Lashes and diamonds, ATM machines Buy myself all of my favorite things Been through some bad, I should be a sap Who would have thought it turned me to a savage Rather be tied up with calls and my strings Write my own checks like I write what I sing Oh, man. 
Future of Health with Providence St. Joseph Health here on Dash Radio. I'm Julie Alexandria, and joining us now is Dia Smith-Taylor, also known as Dia Direct. She's the president and creative director of Dia Direct Enterprises. Dia, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Now, we're talking about female empowerment and also women when it comes to the work-life balance. So you're known for your focus on female empowerment. What was the foundation of your podcast, Super Power? I love that. Oh, thank you. Well, we know that women definitely have superpowers, right? <laughs> of course. Um, but, you know, the whole concept is really um, to really help women who have either powerful stories or women of power and influence to really share their testimonies and to really share not only their strengths, but also their journeys uh, from from areas maybe where they were weak or where they had failures um, in the spirit of all that social media is, which is so much good. We also know that social media has a major impact on people's uh, mental and emotional well-being. And it's you know proven um, how much it's really impacted uh, young women in particular, but all of us, because people compare themselves to other people and you aspire to maybe what they have. And if you're not there or anywhere close, oftentimes it makes people feel less than. Um, and then, of course, social media has... Uh, you know, other kinds of impacts in terms of people, you know, not having real conversations with humans and, and all of that. And so in the spirit of that, I wanted to not take away from social media, but to really provide an answer by talking to influencers, uh, women who, who are, you know, impactful in some way, and have them share their own personal stories, and really to encourage other women about how they were able to overcome in areas uh, where, where the, let's say, the fire of life in a negative way really kind of took them down, or they were depressed, or, you know, going through a transitional time in their life, and to say, listen, this is actually part of the journey. This is actually what success looks like. Today you see me with my makeup on, looking fabulous in my fabulous home on a trip or whatever, but tomorrow but yesterday I could have been under the bed crying, you know, or a family member died or, you know, this area of my life is good at work, but maybe my personal life is not. And just having women be transparent, I think when we do that personally and to and to the degree that we can even professionally, it really creates a safe atmosphere for other women to breathe, to realize they're not alone, and to be encouraged by other people's stories. Because we can talk statistics all day long, but it's really the human connection and the stories that really um, stay with people. So, so that's why I created that podcast, um, so that it can really live in the hearts of women and really help them in their journey along the way. Oh, that's so incredible. And you bring up so many amazing points. And I agree with you on all of those points. I mean, with social media, the idea is to keep us connected when in fact, Mm -hmm. I think it makes us feel more alienated. And we even forget that our friends and our family members are real people too, because all we (laughs) see is what I like to call the highlight reel of someone's life on social media. I mean, people live the life they want you to believe that they're living on social media, right? It's totally curated. It's totally curated. Yeah. 
It is. And sometimes even the encouraging words that you send are really the ones that you need. But people think, oh, you're so inspirational. And they don't know you're like under the covers. (laughs) Really try to encourage yourself. Of course. Of course. So I want to ask you, who are some of the women that you're reaching out to to be guests on your podcast? Whose stories have you featured that were really impactful? Um, Tammy Roman from... um, from Basketball Wise was one of my more recent ones. Uh, Dee Dee McGuire, who's known uh, in radio for years and recently just launched her own syndicated radio show. Obviously, we've had uh, amazing people like Dr. Robin Henderson from um, Providence St. Joseph Health come on, and, and we just really had a great girlfriend talk about mental health overall. She talked about her own story and struggles. And I think that, you know, what's, what, what's the good part? I mean, here this accomplished uh, psychologist and leader in in mental health um, is talking about, hey, you know what, I struggle too. I struggle with, you know, life-work balance and, you know, I struggle with my weight and I struggle, you know, sometimes even in my relationships with other women at work. Like those kinds of transparent conversations where executives and leaders in business or entertainment are saying, listen, me too, you know, this is the other kind of me too. Um, is life-changing, really. Absolutely. And why do you think that women supporting women is so important, especially now and especially with all of the social media traps as we were just talking about? Well, because women have so much to deal with. And as much as we love our men, and we do, there is nothing like the girlfriend connection or the woman connection because there's a there's an innate understanding. And... You know, I think often because women haven't, you know, historically been in the workplace and in in positions of leadership at the same rate as men, sometimes there's been this energy of, you know, being the only one. And, and And then it makes you almost like crabs in a barrel. And so you have to constantly, you know, fight for your your place. And that may might mean in some situations that it becomes competitive in a negative way. Competition can be good or bad. Um, and so oftentimes women were pitted against each other and, you know, there's that whole stereotype that, you know, women don't get along. And so when we change the narrative and when we're good with ourselves and we have good self-esteem and we believe and we're confident, then you recognize that uh, supporting another woman doesn't hurt you, but actually it can help you because a woman can be a um, part of your support more than anyone else because she gets it already you know it's like it's that unspoken understanding of all the multifaceted issues that women have to deal with and quite frankly we need each other and i think the hardest part is is going from having to be the lone ranger and be scrappy and always in survival mode to recognizing that the way that we thrive is together Uh, I'm sitting here nodding my head. I'm like, preach. Yes. Everything that you are saying is so spot on, especially when you feel confident, when you feel at peace with yourself, there is no reason to tear someone else down, especially another woman. And, you know, the only option is to lift each other up and to come together. So I absolutely love that. And when it comes to the root and the heart of PSJH and all of their tenets and all of the mission statements that they stand for, the sisters who founded PSJH, they recognized Mm -hmm. the dignity of each person they encountered and worked to root out oppression of any kind. So was that one of the things that drew you to partnership with them? Of course. Well, first of all, these women were, they were revolutionary. You know, I mean, they were history makers. And again, the perception is, uh, you know, sisters, you know, Catholic sisters were weak. But really, you know, someone told me, you know, this great thing, you know, just because I'm meek, it doesn't make me weak. And so they really not only spoke truth to power, but they literally uh, empowered themselves to make a difference for the least of those. Um, that's real ministry. And for me to be able to uh, be connected with an organization like PSJ that is not only about helping people, but also sees it as ministry is a game changer. And so, again, it was that same spirit of that innate understanding that once we understood uh, respectively what we were trying to accomplish, both PSJ and myself, then 
it was it was a no brainer. It's like, yeah, you know, we didn't even have to go through all the details. We understood that we were about ministry, that we were about empowering women mentally, emotionally, physically, in every way. It was about holistically reaching uh, our audience and literally leaving people better than how they showed up. Always leave a place better than whence you found it. That's what my mom always used to say. Um, Well, in in talking about PSJH, and I know you mentioned you had a few of the clinical experts on your show, uh, Dr. Robin, what what role do you see large organizations like a PSJH have when it comes to helping women in leadership roles? I know you talked about the competition and the fact that a lot of times they are the lone ranger and they're the only ones and there's sort of a sense of isolation. But what are some things that big organizations can do like PSJH? Well, I really think um, that they've already created a model that could literally be be, um, replicated by other organizations just by um, they already have, you know, an atmosphere where women leaders come together, um, you know, outside of their jobs and or their positions, and they engage. And they made a conscious decision to support each other and, and to make sure that they lifted each other up. I mean, that sisterhood is something that um, doesn't happen often and oftentimes, you know, by you kind of creating a a safe place. A lot of mentorship can happen in that atmosphere. Uh, Things that you might be afraid to talk about in other ways. You know, these women can coach each other, um, especially if you know that, you know, when you share certain issues or concerns, it's not going to be used against you. And so I think, you know, it's a whole nother incubator of a safe place to mentor, support, guide, and build each other up that they've already accomplished that, I mean, who doesn't want that and who doesn't need it? And so the more large organizations recognize that when you build up and support the women in your organization, not only does it create a better atmosphere, but it actually helps the organization to become even more profitable because people do a better job when they feel good. Oh, it's so true. And also, I'll second that when they know that they're in a safe environment to succeed. When you say that we have a no tolerance harassment policy, you feel safe as a female Mm -hmm. or as someone who may be subjected to that. So it's so, so important. And I want to talk to you about the not here movement that Deb has started, the hashtag not here pledge to make sure that the organization has a zero tolerance policy as we're talking about that. What do you think that says to women and to some men? You know, it it really says, uh, it's a statement about what kind of organization this is and what kind of organization it's not. And so it really helps to guide behavior um, and expectation. And I think, you, like you said, and it makes you feel safe. You know that this is not a place where, you know, any kind of abusive um, or harassing um, behavior is tolerated. And that really, you know, that, that already, like, uh, alleviates, Um, any kind of worry or anxiety that you may have, especially if you've already experienced something like that. Um, And it also says that if that kind of behavior in some way shows up, that you know that the leadership, based upon its own tenets, um, will make the right adjustments to protect you. And, I mean, who doesn't want that? So, Dio, tell me your thoughts on the impact of hashtag me too when it comes to social media? Well, I think it's really created an atmosphere where women realize that they're not alone. I can tell you personally that um, I've had so many me too situations that I buried that I did, that I, you know, brushed away and it kind of brought it all back to surface. And I realized that maybe I even hadn't dealt with all of um, how those issues impacted me mentally and emotionally. And, and when we have those conversations now that the Me Too hashtag exists, so many other women are saying, you know what, Me Too, and now they're in a position to not only um, feel justified in not allowing that behavior and kind of like we talked earlier, saying that this, this is no longer tolerable, but maybe even if they need help, you know, 
um, professionally or emotionally um, with a psychologist or otherwise to really work through some of those issues that may have impacted you that have just gone buried and that ultimately end up having an impact on your other relationships um, in life. And so, you know, I think it, it really has, um, it's been a game changer for, for our culture overall. For sure. It definitely has. And what advice would you give to women who want to become mentors or influence the lives of other women? I think you have to have a certain level of transparency when you choose to mentor people. And it can't just be uh, a pointing of the finger or saying what somebody else needs to do. But people most relate to humanity. And it's really okay to also talk about uh, your failures along with your wins and, and and really walk people through the how you did it, how you move from point A to point B, because people are looking for tools. And I think as mentors, we have to give people real tools um, and we have to do it in such a way where, you know, we recognize that it's not always black and white and allow people some grace because we were all also given grace. We're going to open up some questions to social media. We want to hear from you, the listeners. So, Deb, let's start with this question on Twitter. This is from Tamara, who asks, are there areas still in healthcare that are really heavily male-dominated? Yeah, it's a great question. And I I think, um, you know, healthcare is certainly ready to change. Um, and And I know at PSJH, we're really excited to be at that forefront. I was reading some material recently uh, from Modern Healthcare, and there was an article with regards to, just as an example, orthopedic surgery. And and women make up only 5% of the active physicians, according to the Association of American Medical Colleges. So, you know, less of an opportunity for women to really make a big impact in that segment, um, as well as just the impact of uh, increasing the wage gap and trying to, to fix it. And so, you know, the article also went on to talk about, you know, so why is that? And as I looked at fixing the problem and, and what these women said is the number one predictor of positive outcomes for women in hospitals, it goes back to our conversation about zero tolerance interesting to witness what the perceptions of these women, their um, ideal for work satisfaction, and their loyalty, what keeps them here. The number one strategy was zero tolerance for sexual harassment. It wasn't about benefits. It wasn't about promotions. It wasn't about titles. You know, these it's the distinction of, um, you know, the economic equity versus emotional equity and, and just how profound that is as part of, you know, what we can do as employers, as other women mentors, as, as part of really being able to control and influence that lever. Yeah, amazing the response when you create a safe space, right? When you can guarantee, or at least try to guarantee as much as you can, that you are in a safe zone. Now, Deb, this question is from Casey on Twitter who asks, has the hashtag MeToo movement impacted healthcare a lot? And do you see it making a difference? Yeah, I um, I do believe that it has certainly impacted healthcare a lot. I mean, and, and, you know, a hashtag is just a social expression of this work. I mean, we are certainly making meaningful changes um, and embedding and, and through our action. Um, and it's every day, and that's the work of grounding it in values and our culture. So, um, you know, we, we tie it to a lot of other initiatives. And um, one that's been really impactful at Providence St. Joseph Health is, is our work around uh, our safety initiatives and creating a high reliability organizational through clinical excellence. And there's one tool that's in, um, in that training that's called bystander intervention. And this means that any caregiver at any level is empowered to, to report issues to their supervisors, to human resources, or even a confidential anonymous hotline, and to speak up when they see or suspect harassment or abuse um, and ensure that retaliation is not tolerated um, at any level. And again, it gets back to how we do one thing is how we do everything. And so the notion of really grounding in 
how important those values um, are with respect to being able to nurture a culture that drives um, zero tolerance. Mm -hmm. And Kara, I'll direct this next question for you. Sandra on Facebook asks, do you think the harassment free or zero tolerance can really happen? Yeah, I, I think it's certainly possible. I think it's super difficult, but we have to try. I think we have to make sure that our people know that how they conduct themselves and contribute to organizational culture is just as important as their professional contributions. And the harassment won't be tolerated. And we have to empower people to speak up when they're experiencing harassment without any fear of retaliation, um, of losing their job, or I think sometimes maybe even a little bit um, overlooked, negatively impacting their career trajectory. Mm -hmm. Cheryl from Facebook asks, do you think that social media plays a factor in women's empowerment? Things like Pantsuit Nation and do organizations like yours pay attention to those spaces? I've never heard of Pantsuit Nation. I haven't either. <laughs> <laughs> but I can no. kind of take, take away from what they mean. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know about our leaders, but I think our caregivers definitely pay attention to that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I think that um, Deb's Not Here movement is, is a really good example of how our leadership can, can show to our caregivers that it's something that we care about. And Deb, is that something that you see with the social media? I mean, I know that the hashtag Not Here was born out of the hashtag Me Too and you know, so much of the social movement, as you said, is an expression, but how can social media be used for good in that space? Well, again, it creates that social network and um, it empowers um, our caregivers at every level. The, the outpouring that I've received from this um, op-ed and we put it in LinkedIn, we put it on Twitter, um, has just brought forth such wonderful feedback from caregivers and individuals outside of our organization to just thank you for the courage. Um, thank you for putting yourself out there and being vulnerable. Um, it's just what I needed. Um, I had one woman stop me yesterday that she took my article home to her sister who is struggling right now in, a, in an abusive relationship, and it's just what needed to really um, ignite a conversation to really have her um, get help. And if it makes one difference to one person, it's, it's all worth the, the, the time, the investment, and and the courage to put the voice out there for the voiceless. Absolutely, it's so important. And how would you say that an organization can get started in this space? Can you give us a few examples of what an organization can do, something simple or that wouldn't require too much cost? Absolutely, um, you know, you get what you measure and um, one of the actions can be as simple as, you know, how does the your organization track results and metrics of gender and setting targets as you look at um, attrition, as you look at representation of external hires, as you look at promotions internally. Um, I think it's also giving managers and, and leaders and our uh, employees tools that they can succeed. Um, as simple as just, you know, the pairing of someone with a, a mentor or you know, the, the Chicks in Charge is, was a very informal program. It was a gathering of women together, you know, just um, for simple, casual conversation. But having a, a safe place uh, it doesn't cost anything. It's just creating the conversation and, and modeling those expectations. Um, but for managers to really play that critical role, stepping in and, and having um, conversations to help difficult situations and, um, you know, that gives that permission and um, knowing that it's safe to, to do that. And, and then I think finally, you know, as part of getting back to culture and how do you shape culture, you, you weave these things through all your performance systems. And so thinking about your current policies and programs as part of maybe refining them to fit better what's what's happening and starting from the top and, and really putting a stake in the ground with regards to your position and in, in hiring and promotions and, and focusing on, on talent planning. Um, and I think, and a final thing, looking at your benefits and, and do they really model 
your constituencies? Um, you know, are you focusing on, on parents? Are you supporting dual career relationships? What is there that your caregivers, I mean, have a focus group with your caregivers and ask them what they want. And what about people? Because we were just talking about organizations and sure that's something, you know, that you can do on a broader level, but what can people do? Little actions. What's something that someone can do, perhaps leaders or someone in a leadership role that they can do just to move the needle or shine some light on this issue? Yeah, I think even um, the simple as taking an, an article, uh, take some of these statistics that we get from different organizations. Take my op-ed article this week in Modern Art uh, uh, Healthcare and use it as a reflection to start a meeting and to get reaction, asking people, you know, what's been your experience um, here in the organization or in your life? Yeah, yeah, I think um, it, it can be simple. I, to, to Deb's point earlier on, I, I think one of the best things that women can do is to simply support, lift up, and encourage each other um, j- just in your day-to-day interactions. I think that women innately draw strength from other women, and they ultimately want to feel connected and supported. Um, and I know a lot of women, I hear this a lot from my girlfriends, um, but I know a lot of women really crave a network. And if that's the case, I think it's also important to put yourself out there a little bit to try to get something going. Doing things like planning a happy hour and extending it beyond just your immediate circle or inviting some of your female colleagues to join a local Toastmasters club with you because everyone hates to go to those kind of things alone. Oh, Toastmasters is great. And for those who are listening that have maybe don't know what Toastmasters is, can you explain? Because it's fantastic and people can find them anywhere. Yeah, there's like a billion of them in every city. Um, and you just get great practice standing in front of a group of people and doing public speaking. The need for, for mentors um, and people like me um, as part of, to Kara's point, building that network um, I called it um, building my own personal board of directors so that I can try on conversations that are safe, that I can share my personal experiences at, at work that maybe um, nobody else would understand at home and to, to get some advice and are also just to have compassion in, in those moments when it's just, wow, I, I just need to talk through this with someone. And I just want to ask the both of you, since you are women, you have incredible careers, but I'm sure you also have a personal life as well. Is there a tip or is there just any word of advice that you would give to other professional women out there when struggling to achieve that work-life balance? So I am by no means an expert at this. And um, I'm, I'm not even that great at it yet, but I, I am better than I was a few years ago. I, I think the best re- advice that I've received is that um, you can't do all the things all the time. So it's about prioritizing. And sometimes you have to say no, but make that decision based off of what's most important to you and stand by it. And the other advice I've received that I live by is when you've made a decision to do life or to do work, to be fully present in that. I, I can tell you from personal experience that husbands do not in fact love it when you're responding to email on vacation. <laughs> but they can deal with it. They, they sure can. They absolutely can. Uh, Deb, did you want to weigh in on that? Any words of advice uh, from your experience that you could impart on our listeners there? Yeah, I think it, it's taking those moments to, to really pause and, and reprioritize and focus but trust in yourself and trust in terms of your choices um, and that, you know, it's okay. Um, you know, I, I try to tell my team, you know, you don't let perfection get in the way of good and 80% is okay. You know, just try it on and it's safe to make a mistake and um, not get overwhelmed and, and really evaluate what's most important and what's going to bring you joy so that you can bring your whole self and your best self to work and and to any situation. Mm -hmm. And Kara, can you tell people where they can learn more about the organization? Yes. You can find us on future.psjhealth.org and you can follow us on social. That's right. At hashtag PSJH. 
And we want to thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Kara, for coming into our studio. Thank you, Deborah, for calling in. And of course, Dia as well. Thank you for joining us today and having this very important conversation. And thank you to everyone who is listening and sending in your questions. We always look forward to reading those. And we look forward to a future topic with more experts from Providence St. Joseph Health. So make sure to follow Providence St. Joseph Health on social media, as we just mentioned, at PSJH on Twitter and Instagram, and Providence St. Joseph Health on Facebook as well. I'm Julie Alexandria. Thanks so much for listening.